0: Welcome to On The Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined by Bob Phelan. Nick Stevens. our co-host, is out this week, and congratulations to him and his wife on the birth of a second child, a baby girl, who was born on Monday, just in time to see the Orioles' home opener. So she arrived on time. Nick is going to be out this week. We expect him back next week. The good news is that we are joined by a guest this week, who I'll introduce in a moment, but first... Uh, each week, we like to shout out new members of our Patreon community, and I'll turn that over to Bob, because we've got several new members uh, joining that group as the regular season gets started.
2: Yeah, uh, overwhelmed by the support that we've seen in the, in the past week with the season getting started, so thank you, everybody, up front with that, and I'll get to the specific names now. We got Tim Cheney; He signed up all the way back last Monday when we recorded our two episodes from last week. Uh, Patrick Seaman. Stephen Tarkington O'Sfan fan therapy. Uh, great Twitter account. Give him a follow. Thanks, Mark. Sterling Rap- Rapazelli. Apologies with the pronunciation. Brent Burns. Janet Burns. Jacob Orner. Erica Genovese. And some random guy named John Mioli. So thank you, everybody, for uh, signing up for the Patreon.
0: Yeah, I don't know who John is, but thank you to everyone for signing up. We appreciate your support. And looking forward to having you in here this year as we give you a lot of Orioles minor league content and some major league content, too. And on tonight's show, we're actually lucky to be able to talk about a little bit of both with someone who's making their first appearance here on On the Verge. He is a fantasy sports writer for Pitchers List and the QB List, also the co-host of Sag Flies podcast. And he is also a new contributor to Baltimore Sports and Life. We're happy to have him as part of the team. He is Ben Palmer. Ben, how are you?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. It's uh, I don't get because I write about fantasy baseball. I don't get to talk about the Orioles all that much uh, because there isn't always a whole lot of fantasy relevant players on the Orioles. Uh, but it's great to have a chance to to let out all of my Orioles
2: with frustrations, excitements, and everything in between. I didn't you expect to cry on air tonight, but the John Means injury is uh, – getting me a little checked up Dude. over here. Oh,
1: man. I Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that sucks. I You know, if there's one good thing that could come out of it, if he's out for a little while, maybe it hurries up someone like a Grayson Rodriguez or somebody to the majors. I don't know. We'll see. Or maybe we'll just get to see, you know – more of Mike Bowman starting or something like that. Who knows? <laughs> we'll see.
2: We'll get through it. We'll get through it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah and we're going to
0: kind of touch on a little bit of everything. Cause actually one of the players that I wanted to start with um, is someone who is a prospect and coming off his first start at AAA for this year. And it was a very good one on Tuesday night. And that's Kyle Braddus four innings pits, two hits, no runs, No walks, six strikeouts, and his start against Crane and Wilkesbury, the AAA affiliate of the Yankees. And Ben, this is kind of framed as a fantasy based question, but if you want to look at it from an Orioles perspective too, we're happy to hear your thoughts. But, you know, once Braddis is ready for the major leagues, which hopefully is not too much longer, how should fantasy owners judge
1: him? I think they should hold off uh, and just watch him. I mean, it's. So there are uh, it's it's really tempting in fantasy to uh, go after the shiny new prospect who has never pitched or played in the majors before and assume that they will be, you know, Trevor Rogers or they will be uh, Ronald Acuna. And more often than not, they're not. I mean, even great play. I mean, pitching tonight against the Orioles, Corbin Burns was really bad when he came to the majors, like really, really bad. It takes, especially pitchers, it takes time for them to get used to the majors and for them to figure things out, especially, I like I cannot emphasize enough how much it happens with pitchers. I always sort of have subscribed to the old uh, tin stop philosophy. There is no such thing as a pitching prospect. And what that kind of says is that the there's so much volatility in pitching that it takes one guy learning one pitch that can uh, propel a you know twelfth rounder to an ace. That it's hard to put too much immediate stock in pitching prospects. There are some exceptions, but um, so someone like Bradish, I'm very interested in what he can do when he comes to the majors. What I'm going to do is I'm going to watch his first start. And what I want to see whenever I look at a prospect who is starting for the first time in the majors, what I want to see is, first off, what's their raw stuff look like? So someone will talk about, I'm sure, uh, Tyler Wells. Tyler Wells did not have a great start for the Orioles. But watching him, just looking at the way his pitches moved, the raw stuff, he's got good raw stuff. So I look for that. I want to look at, uh, you know, command and controls, more specifically control. That's going to be really difficult for anybody who's making their very first start in the majors. Always control is usually all over the place because they're nervous. They're amped up. So you want to look at all of that. And even if they have a bad start, if you see a spark of potential, something like, okay, there's a reason this guy's in the majors. And it's because. He's got a filthy slider, or he's got this great fastball, or whatever it is. If you see some potential there, and even if they have a bad start, and you see some potential, maybe it's someone you just kind of like. Okay, next start, I'm keeping an eye on. I'm going to see if they make progress. If Bradish goes out there and like you know pitches six innings and strikes out ten batters, and I'm like, all right, yeah, I'll pick him up. You know, <laughs> hey, who knows what hey, you see? Uh, um, uh, what for Seattle, Matt Brash, just the other day went out there and struck out a, a bunch of guys in his first start and looked incredible. I mean, just look ridiculous. That kind of a start, yeah, you go grab that prospect if you got a free spot on your bench. But um, unlike someone – so Grayson Rodriguez is a good example of when he's in the majors, I'm just going to pick him up. And that's because he is a prospect with um, more of a uh, – more hype around him, for lack of a better term, just because he is – he is likely going to be this really really good pitcher uh, he's got a little more hype than someone like Bradish so um, yeah i I will definitely pay very close attention to what Bradish does or any of these other kind of middle tier pitching prospects see what they do pay attention to it uh, and then just kind of keep an eye on it uh, you know, You can always, if you really want to, if you're especially in a deep league, you feel like just picking somebody up and having them sit on your bench. If you've got the space for it, I'm
2: always fine with that.
1: Um, But yeah, just pay close attention. That's
2: all. Yeah, I like that answer. I mean, you know, Matt Matt Brash is a good example right there. Compare him to Logan Gilbert with the same team last year who came up Mm -hmm. probably maybe even higher up in the rankings than, than Brash as far as team and top 100 or whatever. Um, but he came up and he struggled a little bit. And to, he seemed like he got better as the year went on. But now Braddish, I mean, I mean, Brash, Braddish, Brash, whatever. Uh, his stuff. They're very close. <laughs> yesterday. And and yeah. he pitched great. So I feel like my strategy with Dynasty and pitchers is I'll keep like, I have Grayson Rodriguez, D.L. Hall and. I think that's it in my one that has 10 minor league spots and I'll just oh, yeah, grab yeah. guys. I feel like there's always guys coming up that are similar to Bradish, where it's like, yeah, there's some intriguing stuff here. So I might grab them and then just kind of rotate that last spot or two on my pitching bench and, until someone sticks.
1: Yeah. So dynasty, that's a whole different story because you have that minor league system. Um, yeah. Someone like Bradish probably isn't going to be taking up a minor league spot in your. Uh, dynasty league, just because it depends on how many spots you have. If you've only got 10 spots, yeah. you're probably, if you got 10 minor league spots and 10 teams, then it's the top hundred prospects are basically being rostered, give or take a couple people who like guys outside the top hundred. So um, yeah, it's just, it's, it is really, like I said, really, really tempting to just be like, this guy's a prospect. I've never seen him scouts like him. Let me grab him. And then he'll be the key to my victory. He might be, but that is really play in the lottery. Like more often than not, prospects in their rookie years are just not going to be amazing. The exceptions are those like once in a generation guys. I think when Adley Rutschman comes up, I think he's gonna be great. I think I think he's a major league ready catcher right now. I, I think this year Bobby Witt, who if for the Royals is gonna be great. But these are guys who are like the top level prospects. Someone like Kyle Bradish or, you know, others within the Orioles who are a little bit lower, they're not someone you need to go grab right away. They're just someone to pay attention to.
2: Yeah, and if we can just look at the results from his game the other day, more from just a regular or normal perspective, Orioles minor league perspective, I thought he looked great. I mean, the zero walks, that's new for him. Usually he'll get some strikeouts. He'll pitch well, but he'll have a high pitch count. He'll walk a couple batters at least. Uh, Thought the command... Looked a little bit better than last year. And I thought the stuff was even a tick better. The fastball was like a notch or two higher than it was last year. Curveball looked as good as ever. So really excited for him. I, I think he'll be up in the next turn or two through the rotation. Maybe sooner if this means injury is as bad as we might might fear.
0: Yeah, What we saw from Bradis, I think, was kind of a continuation of what he did last year. He went through some command struggles at A. He was also giving up a long ball a little bit. Then over about his last six starts or so, he was lights out. Um, and I, so I think what he managed to do Tuesday night was him kind of continuing that. And I would expect that once you get him to the point where he's regularly stretched out to five innings, um, you know, he does that a couple of times, you bring him up unless, you know, this John Means injury is something that's going to be a long-term concern.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm curious. So, I mean, the fact that he didn't walk anybody is great because that's kind of really been the um, question mark with Bradish. Like, I don't think I don't think anyone's really questioned his stuff. You know, he's a big dude who throws a hard fastball and has two plus breaking pitches. And, I mean, just the most basic version of what do you want out of a pitcher is that a solid fastball and one great strikeout pitch, preferably two. And it seems like Bradish has that, but. There, the list of pitchers who have that and don't know where the ball's going when they throw it is a mile long. So the fact that he didn't walk anybody is really great. If he can kind of keep that control uh, like pretty good. Uh, that was a bad sentence. But if he can have good control, that's what I was looking for. If he can, If he can keep his control good, if he can have good control consistently, that kind of changes the game for him because it's already, it's not like he's a command pitcher with mediocre stuff. He's a stuff pitcher with, with mediocre command or control. Um, So yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely good news. I, I do wonder though, if, if the means injury is bad, if, you know, it sounds like the Orioles really want Grayson Rodriguez in the majors, or at least I, I'm just thinking of, you know, end of last year, Mike Elias was talking about Rodriguez. And pretty much said and literally said, uh, I don't think you have to pitch in triple A. And I mean, obviously, Rodriguez will pitch in triple A, but it kind of sounds like they're like, we're ready to bring him up, you know, as soon as possible. So, you know, maybe this accelerates that or someone like DL Hall or something ahead of someone like Bradish. I'm not sure. I just we'll see. I I know I asked Dan Connolly um, what he thought about when Grayson Rodriguez would come up he said the thinking around the organization is if he dominates in AAA, then he's up. So it seems like there is kind of a condition there. So, you know, maybe that holds him back a little bit, uh, especially if he's not dominating AAA. So I don't know. But, yeah, I'm curious to see if if this means injury were bad. I'm curious what they might do. Rodriguez's first
0: start at AAA, which was last week against... Um... Charlotte at Norfolk was excellent. And oh, so a yeah. good oh, start yeah. to the year for him. What I do wonder though is do you want to stretch him out a little bit? Is there an advantage to him maybe pitching 5 or 6 innings against the AAA lineup a couple of times before he comes up? Bradis did that last year. Rodriguez has not done that yet. So is there an advantage to letting him face older competition through the lineup two or three times? a few times before you bring him up or is it, you know what, it's going to, it's four and five innings for starters right now. He can do that for the majors and get stretched out there. I don't know what the best answer is, but it's something I'm curious to see.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, last year I was just doing the math. His innings per start last year in double a was about four. So he had 18 starts, 79.2 innings. That averages out to about four innings a start. So, yeah, I mean, that's definitely, and he had four innings in his first start. So that definitely is a question of, yeah, stretching him out in AAA. And maybe that's the goal. I mean, maybe the Orioles are looking at Rodriguez and they're like, he has the stuff to be in the majors right now. We want to work up the stamina to be in the majors. So maybe him being in AAA is, he dominates AAA and they gradually get him to four, five, six innings. So I don't know.
2: Yeah, so I think Bradish... You know, there's no walks. Obviously, you want to see that a little more. It's only been four innings in the official season, but he did look good in spring training. So, to me, it's a sign. You know, if he comes out, looks this good over his next couple starts as well and can get through the fifth inning, then then maybe that makes him eligible. Grayson, I feel like I could see either way with that, Zach, as far as what you're saying there. Because, yeah, maybe he's just on the same time, timetable as everybody else right now. He can, he can do that at the major league level. Why waste the bullets in the minor leagues? But at the same time, you don't want to just rush him just because John Means got hurt. You want him on the, his own timetable no matter what. Yeah,
0: yeah, for and, sure. And as I like to say to our listeners who might be listening to this later, hopefully you're in a better future where <laughs> this John Means discussing is irrelevant. But Means was removed from his start Wednesday night um, shortly before we went on the air against Milwaukee with a parent left forearm concern. So we would have to see how that plays out do want to transition to another left-hander who has not pitched yet uh, this season in the Fistel game, and that's D.L. Hall. Uh, currently being built up in Sarasota. The expectation is that he'll get out of Sarasota, start in the low minors, start to build his way up. And with the 40-man roster spot and the fact that the Orioles need pitching this year, he's probably going to be on track to be in Baltimore later this summer. Now, Ben, I'll put this question, this is kind of from a fantasy perspective. We know that the arm is electric. We know the stuff is really good. Um, But we also know that there's, you know, a bit of an injury history with him and a question of whether or not he's going to stick in the bullpen. I don't really, I'm not as concerned about that right now as I think a lot of other evaluators are. But keeping that question in mind of whether or not he ends up in the bullpen, does that hurt his fantasy value, or do you look at it and think that it's kind of negligible if the stuff is good
1: oh i mean if he if he's stuck in the bullpen, that absolutely hurts his fantasy value i mean unless he ends up a closer um or you know a setup guy if you're in a league where you count holds uh yeah, i mean his that definitely hurts would I wouldn't be shocked given his health history if he kind of goes a Tyler Wells route where he comes up, spends some time in the pen, spends a season in the bullpen and then is like gradually stretched out, you know, but the thing is, is I think the Orioles see DL hall as a starter. Like I just, the, what I gather just from the talk about him and what it's always been is that DL hall is the, a, a future starting pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles. Um, I hope that's the case. Obviously he's got to stay healthy. He's got to throw a few more strikes here and there, but um, I mean, yeah, the, the stuff is there. We all know the stuff is there. So yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up starting off in the bullpen and obviously, yeah, that would definitely hurt his fantasy value, but plenty of pitchers have started off in the bullpen as young prospects made their way into the rotation and then been great. It's, it's a path that is well trodden. So yeah, so even if that does happen, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be freaking out right away. I would. I, the Orioles will give him a chance to start in the majors at some point in the future. Whether that's this year, next year, or the year after, I don't know. But I, I would be truly shocked if he just ends up a bullpen arm.
2: Yeah, a guy with stuff like that. I don't care how likely he is to be in the bullpen. You got to give him that shot to at least stick in the rotation, especially when you're the Orioles and you have no, no pitching depth. And no one really blocking him. So if you're the Brewers and you have Aaron Ashby, you know, who could be a similar type of arm, maybe a little tick below as far as pure stuff goes, you can stick him in the bullpen and be happy about it. But D.L. Hall, you want him to be Blake Snell and maybe eventually he's Josh Hader. But
1: yeah, I mean, and, and also, who knows, maybe he ends up going the Zach Britton route. I mean, you know, Zach Britton was this great prospect starting pitcher who was, you know, suppo- I, rem- I I very clearly remember, I think I said this on a on a different podcast somewhere. Uh, I clearly remember going to Orioles Fan Fest one year, and they had a panel that was the future of the Orioles, and it was uh, uh, the future of the Orioles rotation. And it was Britton, it was Jake Arrieta, it was Brad Burgesson, and it was Chris Tillman, because the fifth guy was uh, Jeremy Guthrie in the rotation that year, I think. So the future, oh, and Brian Mattis. I'm sorry, no, Brian Mattis. Uh, and that was the future of the Orioles, those five. And uh, yeah, that didn't that didn't work out great. Um, but uh, Britain, I mean, yeah, Britain was supposed to be this great starter, couldn't hack it as a starter, and then became an incredible closer. So, you know, there is a path for it, someone like D.L. Hall to try out starting if it doesn't work. You know, there is potential if he has good stuff, he could become a closer. We may see we may see Jorge Lopez go exactly that route. A top prospect pitcher who couldn't cut it as a starter and is now moving into a closer role. He got the first save of the year for the Orioles. So, you know, who knows that that could be possible, too. But like I said, deal is going to get a shot to start. He may blow it and he may be awful, but he's going to get
2: a chance at the very least. Yeah. Don't forget Troy Patton as part of that cavalry. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of saves, who do you have the Orioles? You know, it's, it's definitely a tough, tough position to crack, at least when you're looking at Orioles, but who do you think you should grab if you're in a fantasy league right now for perspective saves? Jorge Lopez currently has a job, but who knows how stable that is? He already blew yeah. kind of one thing. You got Felix Bautista whose stuff is insane right now. It's just a matter of if he can control it. Maybe he wins that job. Dylan Tate is there. What do you think?
1: Yeah, so I think immediate future it's Jorge Lopez, probably. Um, but my my favorite candidate to end up with saves is Bautista. He just he looks like a closer, um, stuff wise. This this sounds every time I say this, it sounds like I'm an old person's like you know, forget your analytics. I use the eye test. And that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is the guy throws a hundred and one mile an hour fastball that that pops. I mean, that thing is a great, it is a 70 grade fastball and he has a splitter that sits at like 86 and has killer movement on it. The question, obviously, like you said, is control. If he can't control those pitches, then he's not going to get, a he's not going to get the closer job. You know, Dylan Tate, that's the story of Dylan Tate, filthy stuff who, and he doesn't know where it's going when he throws the ball. Uh, So, you know, that could happen for Bautista. But looking at it, if you're looking for a really good closer, what do you want in a really good closer? You want you really only need two pitches, two great pitches. Uh, Plenty of closers have built their careers off of that. And Bautista feels like he has it. I mean, that, that fastball is ridiculous. That splitter is great. The speed differential between the two going from 100 to 86, you know, around there, that's great. And the movement on the splitter is fantastic. I mean, it looks like I don't want to compare it to the greatest splitter in the league, but it does look a little bit like Kevin Gaussman's splitter, the way it the way it cuts back and everything. Uh, obviously, Gaussman's splitter is like next level ridiculous, but it just it looks like he's got those two great pitches, and if he can control them, I don't see any reason he can't be a pretty nasty closer, but I don't think he has that job right away. So if you're in a fantasy league, I don't p- go pick up Felix Bautista right now. If you're in a super deep league, a dynasty league, maybe, you know, give it a shot if you got a free roster spot. But I don't think he's getting the job right away. I think it's Jorge Lopez for now. But the thing is, is we've seen Jorge Lopez. He's not great. Uh, Though, I mean, he's throwing like 98 now all of a sudden, which is weird. Uh, So who knows? Maybe he's kind of changing things up. But we've seen Jorge Lopez in the majors. He's not great. Dylan Tate we've seen in the majors. Also not great. So, you know. Bautista's kind of the shiny new prospect. Uh, so I'm kind of falling into the trap I warned about <laughs> earlier. But, yeah, I just think raw stuff, he just looks like he has closer stuff. And I don't know that Lopez and Tate do.
2: Yeah, and there's been a lot of good stuff on uh, on baseball Twitter about Felix Bautista. I love the thing that Mike Petriello wrote about him. About It seemed like he has more spin on his fastball for someone that throws as fast as he does like by far in the short sample size. And, you know, it's, it's exciting stuff, but we gotta, he's gotta go out and do it now. And, uh, Michael Bauman could be another guy maybe if they don't give him a shot in the rotation, he throws yeah. hard with a nice slider, but, uh,
1: he does. Quite yeah. As exciting. Yeah. I'm curious about Bautista. Now that you mentioned his spin rate, his, uh, I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> Cause I'm curious what his spin rate it is on his fastball. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a good high spin fastball. That's pretty. it has got good movement. Yeah, that's that splitter has 30 inches of drop on it, which is five and a half inches more than your average uh, split change. And his slider has over six and a half inches more uh, vertical movement than your average slider. Like it's yeah, it's a ridiculous. He's he's got great (laughs) stuff. It's just like you said, control. The, the yeah. Another list that is a mile long is pitchers with great stuff and terrible control.
2: <laughs> like, yeah, this. but if you can make Wander swing and miss three times and then got hitters gearing up for 100 and then you drop that splitter on them, it, it looks good on TV at least.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, and kind of going in a different direction here, um, Keegan Aiken after a horrible spring has gotten off to a pretty solid start in the Orioles' bullpen. Back-to-back scoreless outings now in multiple innings of relief. Um, I have and Bob, Nick and I have said for a while that we think that Aiken's future in the major leagues, if he has one, is in the bullpen. Um, Ben, are you buying into not so much from a fantasy perspective, but just from a regular baseball perspective, buying into the idea that maybe this multiple inning relief role is where Keegan Aiken belongs or is this just good luck over a small sample size?
1: I feel like, yeah. So Aiken has never, he's never really impressed me all that much. I mean, the thing is so last year was the biggest sample size we've seen of him in the majors. And what did we get? We got a pretty good fastball. I mean, he, he, I will give him credit on that. That fastball was really good at inducing weak contact at a 330 uh, weighted on base average against, which is, about average, I mean, the, the problem came in home runs. It had a 201 isolated power, which is really, really bad. Part of that might be Camden Yards in 2021 being different, you know, being the home run friendly ballpark that it was. Um, but the thing is, is he doesn't, you know, I haven't really seen a pitch that is like a put away pitch. His slider and change up were mediocre. Uh, you know, uh, slider was this, uh, actually slider and changeup were tied for a second most used pitch slider had a 24.3% chase rate last year. That's boring. That's not good. You want like at least 30%, at least the, of getting it, you know, percentage of times it's chased outside the strike zone and a 9.3% swinging strike rate, which is also below average changeup was kind of the same story only difference was it had a 13.4 percent swinging strike rate last year which is which is pretty good but you know the pitches also got launched like a good bit you know it hitters were crushing those pitches so i don't know the thing with aiken is i don't see right now i don't see the pure stuff uh the the You know, like I said, when you're building a great starting pitcher, what do you want? You want a solid fastball as a foundation, most likely, and you want a wipeout breaking ball or off-speed pitch, and then another breaking ball or off-speed that serves as a solid backup. He has a an okay, solid fastball, and nothing else, and that just that doesn't, you know, I don't know that that's a starter right now. Like I said earlier, pitchers can learn a new grip on a slider and completely change the pitch. And all of a sudden it's a filthy pitch that happens all of the time. So it's definitely possible that that could happen with Aiken, but yeah, for now, you know, I, I think I, I would personally prefer seeing him in the bullpen compared to some of the other pitching prospects that could be in the rotation.
2: Yeah. I have absolutely no hope for him as a starter anymore, but I do think he could be at least a decent swing man, middle other uh, middle of the bullpen guy or middle innings of the game. I think he works best in that one time through the lineup. You know, if he is in shorter stints, he's got like a decent fastball as far as for his velocity. It seems like he's got one of those invisibles. Like he leans on that. He's got decent, not great breaking stuff, but. I think I was looking at his numbers last year at some point and his first time through the order numbers were like considerably better than as most pitchers are, but better than second and third time. So, you know, he's off to a good start. He's working fast, throwing strikes. Maybe if he can continue to do that, he can carve out a role as like a fifth sixth fifth, sixth inning guy as a guy that can like pass the ball from uh the starter to the, the high leverage guys at the back end of the bullpen.
0: Switching gears want to talk about um hitters now. If you're looking at this from a dynasty investment, um, looking at two prospects we talk about a lot, and we're going to talk about a little bit more later on in this show, because they're both off to pretty solid starts at Bowie, and that's Jordan Westberg and Gunnar Henderson. Um, Westberg might be seen as more of a high-floor guy, a little older, skill set is a little bit more well-rounded, has more experience, whereas Henderson feels a little bit higher risk, but higher ceiling because he's got – that ridiculous power from the left side. And if he just gets that overall hit tool into place, um, it seems like the sky is the limit for him. So if you're looking at it from a dynasty league perspective, do you go with the high ceiling in Henderson or the high floor in Westbrook?
1: I think uh, when you're going for your minor leaguers in a dynasty league, you're absolutely going for high ceiling for sure. Because, um, you can always just drop him for a high floor guy when he proves it, but you want you want to um, you want to hang on to a guy who has a high high ceiling potential because if if he reaches that ceiling, that's huge for your team. If you have a guy who has a high floor potential but not a very high ceiling, that's a guy who is useful but not a difference maker. Someone like. Gunnar Henderson, I think, could be a difference maker for your team if he reaches his ceiling. Um, I mean, they're both they're both interesting prospects, both have, you know, an interesting power speed combo. But if I'm in a dynasty league, it's definitely Gunnar Henderson who uh who I'm rostering.
2: Yeah, that makes sense for sure. Uh Colton Kowser, speaking of high floor, high ceiling, he's kind of like a, a nice mix of both. I feel like he's got a decently high floor, but you know, if you add some power to his frame, ceiling could be higher than than uh, than you would currently expect right now. But where do you think he ranks compared to his fellow 2021 draftees? Oh, compared to other draftees in 2021, I'd have to look
1: at who else got drafted. But I do like Couser's, uh potential. I mean, you know, like you said, he does he does have a bit of a higher floor just because I think he has a better hit tool. Than, um, than someone like Jordan, well, Jordan Westberg probably, and even Gunnar Henderson to an extent. Um, he's got a better hit tool, maybe not quite the power that someone like Henderson has. But the nice thing about Kowser is he's kind of an all-around good uh, hitter. Like, just you, the, the, I wouldn't say he's incredible in any one area, but he's good to very good in just about every area um so we'll see we'll see about running Uh, he's a big dude uh but but you know runs pretty well even though he's a big dude um so you know we'll see kind of how many steals he could get but i mean he's definitely definitely a very very interesting prospect i mean we're probably looking at not seeing him in the majors for at least another year or two i mean he's 22 so Might only be a couple years, depending on how he does in the minors. But yeah, no, he's definitely someone I'm interested in. You know, if we're talking about Henderson, Couser and Westberg, if I were to rank those three dynasty wise, I would probably rank Kauser first of the group, just because he is that good mix of uh, high floor, high ceiling. Uh, I think Henderson might have the higher ceiling, but I think he does have the lower floor. So um, it's close. I mean, I could be convinced into Henderson over Kowser, But, yeah, I would probably go uh, Kowser henderson westberg Um, But, yeah. One of Kowser's teammates right
0: now at Aberdeen, part of an Aberdeen lineup that has been tearing the cover off the ball over the first week of the season, is Kobe Mayo, who's coming off an excellent 2021 and is a guy right now that is – either in or just outside of most major top 100 prospect lists. If he builds off of what he did in 2021 and has a really good 2022, what does that do for his stock going into next year?
1: Oh, I mean, you know, it's, uh, you know, Mayo's a guy who we're probably not going to see for a few years, given how young he is and everything. He's in a high A, but, you know, if he keeps, if he is able to just continue crushing all through the minors, then yeah, I mean, he's going to be, Uh, he's going to be awesome. It's got good power, uh, and he's got, um, a decent hit tool. I'm curious how the power will, uh, translate as he climbs through the minors. But, um, yeah, I mean, even he's another guy who's like a big dude. He's real big, isn't he? He's like, he's like six, five or something. He's a big dude. And, uh, and also similar to Kowser can run decently well, which is cool. So. Yeah, I mean, if he's able to build off what he did uh, last year, which was which was nuts, I mean, he, he crushed the ball last year, if he can kind of build off of that and continue showing that his power translates, I think that's really going to be the big thing, is does that power, as he gets to higher and higher and higher-level pitching, as he goes tr- double and triple-A, is that power still there? Does it remain consistent? And if it does... Then he is suddenly a very, very, very interesting prospect right now. He's a guy where I'm like, yeah, just keep an eye on him. Um, I don't know if in a dynasty fantasy league, I don't know if I'm putting him in my minor league spot. It depends on how big the league is and how many minor league spots you have. Um, but he's definitely someone worth keeping an eye on. Uh, the problem is he could easily hit double A or especially triple A and just he can't handle the pitching and then all of a sudden just the bottom drops out. So that is something to keep an eye on. But, I mean, the the raw skill set is very, very interesting.
2: And last um, fantasy-related, dynasty-related question. How deep does a league's minor league system have to be to stash Heston Kerstad at this point? You know, I don't think it has to be all that deep. Uh,
1: Kerstad, you know, he's had the health problems, uh, which, you know nothing you can do about that. Uh, you know, it's just, it's not like this. It's not like this health problem was like, you know, a hamstring injury that's been nagging him or something like that. Like this is entirely different. Um, I'm hopeful that he just kind of picks up this year and starts crushing the ball. He's, you know, he's 22 years old uh, and has good hit tool. not, not as great of a hit tool, but good power, Solid fielder. So, you know, I I think if you're in a dynasty league where... So, good example. I'm in a dynasty league where you have... It is a 16-team league with 15 minor league spots. Uh, Kierstead is rostered in that league for sure. Uh, I think even in my other league where we have 10 minor league spots, it's like a 12-team league. I think he's rostered there too. So... um. Yeah, he's got good potential. Uh like I said, you know, nothing you can do about the uh the issue that he had, you know, it's and and it also hopefully isn't something that like comes back and haunts him throughout his career. I mean, who knows, we'll see. But yeah, no, I think you could definitely roster him in just in most dynasty leagues, for sure.
0: We'll kind of wrap up the fantasy discussion here. Just to get your thoughts generally on what you're seeing from the Orioles pitching staff, both the rotation and the bullpen specifically looking at the guys you know are going to be starters for the rest of the year. So really the top four in Means, Wiles, Zimmerman, Wells, or at least the four that are penciled in for starting right yeah. now. And then the bullpen. We've talked about Jorge Lopez, Felix Batista, and Keegan Aiken a little bit. But looking at that group as a whole, they've been mostly successful through the first few games of the season. How sustainable is that, though?
1: Yeah. So starting with the rotation, I mean, you know, injury pending uh, means is kind of who he is. I've always loved John means um, he's got great stuff. I, I so one in the very first article, actually, I wrote for Baltimore Sports and Life was uh, looking at what to expect from John means this year. And one of the things I mentioned was that means has a habit of throwing the ball in the strike zone a lot, which is good on one hand. Uh, because it limits walks, but on the other hand, if you're throwing the ball in the strike zone all the time, you're not going to get hitters to chase the ball outside the zone, because you're just not throwing it outside the zone at all. And strikeouts have always kind of been an issue for Means. And even in his first start this year, uh, he only had a, a 23% CSW, which is called strikes plus whiffs. Uh, on the night, which is really low, you don't want to see that. Uh, even his changeup, which is his put away pitch, had a twenty-eight percent CSW. With you know, he had five strikeouts and in four innings, which is awesome. But he does he isn't really getting the swings and misses. uh And I think part of that is because he is pounding the strike zone. And I would love to see him just edge out of the strike zone just a little bit more with his, specifically with his, um, off speed and breaking pitches. If he could do that, I think he could increase his swings and misses. Um, so, you know, I, that's kind of a minor thing. If he, if he keeps up his success, you know, far be it from me to tell him to stop doing what's working. Um, Jordan Lyles, I I have said since he got signed, I think he's a warm body, uh, that is able to throw 180 to 200 innings he's you know first start of the year he did what he does which is he gives up runs he always has I you look at his whole career it's you know an ERA between like four five and five he's just not a very good pitcher Uh, there isn't much else to say he's just he's just not great Uh, you know the the, his first start of the year he mainly went with a fastball curveball combo and the curveball had a 9% CSW which is garbage i mean you know i was saying 23 percent for means was not great nine percent on his curveball which is supposed to be his out pitch is trash so i you know lyles he's basically uh his qualifications to be in the orioles rotation is he is upright and alive and can throw the ball uh i am not you know thinking that lyles is suddenly gonna figure things out i you know History is the best predictor of future success. Uh, and Lyles' history is not great. Uh, Tyler Wells, like I mentioned, I really like his raw stuff. Uh, got a great-looking slider. Looks really, really nice. Curveball looked pretty good, too. Um, not from a results standpoint on any of it, because he, he got knocked around a bit. But just the movement on it and everything looks good. It lo- it's good-looking stuff. Got a deep repertoire. I'm curious to see what will happen to him going forward as he stretches out a bit more. Uh, I'm optimistic with Wells, for sure. Uh, And then Zimmerman, you know, he was okay. Yeah, I was actually at that game at opening day. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Four innings, uh, four strikeouts, which is cool. Don't love that he had to uh, pitch 66 pitches to get through four innings. Uh, That's not great. Uh, I, I also wrote an article about Zimmerman. And the thing that's really interesting with Zimmerman is he has a really, really good slider and a really, really good curveball—two like good pitches that get chases outside the strike zone and get swings, uh, swings and misses. Unfortunately, those are his two least thrown pitches. He's got a pretty bad fastball that gets launched, and he's got a changeup that is not a particularly great pitch. It's okay. And those are his two most thrown pitches. I would love to see what would happen if he brought down the fastball usage a little bit and started using his slider and curveball more because those two pitches are legitimately very good pitches. I mean, last year, they worked really, really well. So, you know, I'd love to see what he could do with that. Um, I will mention one thing that was interesting about Spencer Watkins the other night. Even though he got rocked pretty hard, uh, fastball is up two miles an hour. Uh, which is cool. I mean, that's, that's interesting. Curious to see what will happen going forward with him. As for the bullpen, uh, aside from the guys we already talked about, you know, uh, Paul Fry is a guy who you just know is generally going to be pretty good. Uh, I, my favorite person in the bullpen right now is, as I've mentioned, Felix Bautista. I just love the stuff that he has. Um, Though I will say Brian Baker, you know, he didn't look, Super great last night. He was okay, but he's got some nice stuff too. He's got a really, really pretty uh, split change that he throws uh, that looks really nice. And Bowman, who we've also mentioned, is a guy who's... I've always thought his potential was interesting. Throws it hard, has a nice slider. So I am I am curious what will happen with him. The thing with this bullpen is there are just... the. The Orioles, I think, are kind of going with the, you know, spaghetti on the wall approach. Just throw everything on the wall and see what sticks. And we've got a massive bullpen full of a bunch of young guys who, when you watch them pitch from the worst major league pitcher to the best, there will be something where you watch them pitch and you will go, oh, that's why you're in the majors. It is this pitch or whatever it might be. There is a reason they're in the majors, and it's because there is something interesting about them. Uh, and it's, you know, one of them might have a great curve or they've got a killer fastball or something. So I think the Orioles are just throwing all these guys at the wall and saying like, you know, let's see what happens. That's kind of what this year is, is I think kind of figuring out what do we have? We know we've got these prospects in the minors who are pretty close to being ready to come to be in the majors probably will be later this year. So, what do we have to support them with? Because even if Grayson Rodriguez is an ace and Adley Rutschman's the best catcher in baseball, those are two players. You know, you need you need a full team of at least solid supporting members. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's kind of what they're going with. I'm curious to see what'll happen. I would love to see some of these bullpen guys, you know, kind of put things together, and and suddenly the Orioles have a pretty good bullpen. We'll see. But, um, yeah, it, it's it's a big bullpen. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very curious what will happen.
2: Bruce Zimmerman ever goes to the Tampa Bay Rays. We know what they will do with him. They just have him spam yeah. his breaking balls.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, look, I am a huge proponent of pitching backwards. I, I, I know I said, what do you want in a starting pitcher is a solid fastball as a foundation. That's ideal. That's great. But you don't have to. There are so many pitchers who have built – great careers off of pitching backwards. uh, And by that, I mean throwing breaking balls as their primary pitches. Charlie Morton's entire career has been incredible because he throws a curveball that is unhittable and it's his most thrown pitch. Uh, Up until recently, Patrick Corbin always threw an incredible slider. That was his most thrown pitch. There are guys who do that and do it well. You don't, there's nothing that frustrates me more than seeing a pitcher who has incredible breaking stuff and a horrible fastball, and he throws that fastball a thousand times a year. And I'm like, well, no wonder you're getting, you know, your stats are bad. You're throwing a horrible pitch all of the time. So I think fastballs are important. They do set up breaking stuff and off-speed stuff and all that. I, I get all of that. I'm not saying anybody should abandon a fastball entirely, but someone like Zimmerman, I would love to see what would happen If suddenly he was throwing his fastball, you know, 50 some odd percent of the time or maybe even a little less. And then like working that slider and curveball pretty close to like a, you know, 30, 30, 30 split or whatever. I'd love to see what would happen. Maybe it wouldn't work. But I mean, clearly those pitches are uh, fooling major league hitters. So I'm like, why not use them? That's a
0: good point. And we'll look now at the minor leagues. Bob had a chance to see Bowie over the weekend. He went down to Prince George's stadium. And one area that I think our listeners are definitely going to be interested here is that you saw Antonio Velez's first outing in the Orioles organization. Bob, I heard from you during the game, your impression in the moment was the changeup is as advertised. Baseball America had rated Velez as having the best changeup in the Marlins farm system before the trade that sent Tanner Scott and Call Saucer to Miami and brought Velez back into prospect, a package of prospects and a draft pick for those two relievers. So Bob, just kind of start there with your impressions on Velez.
2: I was impressed. Um, you know, he's 24, 25 years old, not really his fault because of the COVID season. And last year was his first professional experience. So, I mean, It's just unfortunate. I think a lot of these guys in the minor leagues are like a year behind still. But I mean, it to me, it looked like Kevin Smith and Kyle Bradish at the beginning of last year when they were in Double A. Like he should be in Triple A very quickly. Just too talented for this level. I think. I mean, yeah, he throws everything for strikes. I thought we heard there was a velocity uptick for him, but he was sitting eighty-eight to ninety-one. He did touch ninety-three once, but maybe it was a cold day. Maybe that had something to do with it. But Velocity wasn't great, but threw everything for strikes and that changeup was getting swings and misses. It's I don't I don't know if anyone made contact with it uh when he threw that. So yeah, he looked fantastic, got four innings in. I think he struck out seven batters, uh, struck out the side in the second inning. It was swinging, looking, it didn't matter. He did walk two, but it wasn't because he's he's wild. It was they were just missing those pitches. So yeah, was very impressed with his uh first appearance. We'll see where he goes from here.
0: So what else stood out that day? Just looking at Bowie, it's a pretty deep team. It,
2: it was a it was a fun game. That offense is a lot of fun. Hudson Haskin hit three home runs in one game. Unfortunately, he was hit by a pitch tonight and had to leave the game. So hopefully, that's just precautionary and nothing serious. Yeah. So, you know, we always talked about how Haskins he's got that raw power, but we got to see if he can put it into games. Well, he did it all all in one day. We'll see if he can how it goes the rest of the year. But that was exciting to see him come back, start the season. Hot after ending the season with an injury after getting hit by a pitch last year. So that was cool. Uh, my favorite moment, though, was Jordan Westberg hitting a go-ahead two-run homer that you knew was gone the second it left his bat, and so did he. He stood there, admired it, flipped his bat a little bit, shouted uh, some expletives to the bench to fire him up <laughs> and circle the bases. That, that was my favorite part of the day. <laughs> Even though my kids were there, I, I earmuffed them, so it was all good. Um, yeah, Adam Hall showing off the speed a bunt single two infield hits two stolen bases like flying across the diamond apologies to him I'm sure he's gonna have a great year after we talked you know not too highly of him in our last top 50 update but uh like to see him get back on track but the team is just loaded with talent if I'm sure you know guys will go through cold stretches hot stretches but if you're going to go to a a minor league game I think Billy and Aberdeen and honestly all levels of the Oriole system right now are pretty darn good but those two in particular are lighting it up to start the year
0: do want to focus on Aberdeen's uh, lineup because Aberdeen entered Tuesday night 4-0 and the lineup has been, as advertised, Colton Kowser is hitting the cover off the ball. John Rhodes has been hitting really well. Dante Williams has also gotten also a good start. And Connor Norby uh, carried a good start into Tuesday night and hit a home run in that game against Wilmington. As we're recording this right now, that game is in the ninth inning and tied 4-4, so I don't have a result just yet. But Aberdeen, we knew this lineup was going to be stacked at the beginning of the year, and so far it is delivering.
2: Yeah, they haven't lost yet, and it's been mostly the bats carrying the day, although pitching's been all right too. Kelton Kowser actually striking out more than you might expect early in the season, but who knows what that is. Maybe he's selling out for a little bit more power. I'm not sure. I haven't seen enough to really – or it just could be short sample size early in the season, and he'll adjust as he gets – used to the pitching, but that's the only real concern I could think. Kobe Mayo, he hit a home run in his first at-bat of the season. He hit an RBI double last night. You know, he he hasn't had the balls fall in, but he he looks comfortable at the plate. I'm not concerned whatsoever. Looks good. Had a had a hit in a walk today. So, yeah, that lineup, that team in general is just absolutely loaded, <laughs> and uh, I got to get out there. It's right up the street for me, so hopefully I can go to a game next time they're in town.
0: So Ben I'm interested, you know, kind of get your thoughts on Aberdeen, because it's got an interesting mix of prospects where you have the really high ceiling guys like Mayo and Kalzer, but then you also have this mix of hitters that do one or two things really well, like Caesar Prieto, or guys that seem like they might be able to start putting it a little bit more together in terms of power, like Connor Norby and John Rhodes. So how much have you been following Aberdeen this year? And what is your general impression of the lineup?
1: So I am located just outside of Annapolis, which means I am much closer to the Bay Sox than I am anything. Um, I I need to get my, you know what, this, what you made me think of this. I need to like get my butt out to an Aberdeen game. Cause like, that's not too far away. Uh, I will say I don't follow Aberdeen super, super closely. I know some, obviously, you know, the big prospects that are there. Um, it's tough, you know, something like Aberdeen high a, it's really, I feel like when you move to double a, that's really the big jump. Um, there, I mean, there are so many guys who will crush in single a, and then once they get to double a and especially triple a, it can be tough. Um, I think when you're in single a, when you're looking at a single a team like Aberdeen, what you're looking at is just like similar to what I've said earlier is just raw talent. Do these guys, what do they have? And, you know, if they can crush single a as they should, then, you know, it's, it's interesting to see what they could do in double a. So, I'm really curious about a lot of the, you know, the Kobe Mayos of the world. See what they can do. See how quickly they move up. Um, but yeah, man, I need to get myself out to an Aberdeen game. That's for sure. I've, I've actually, you know what? Now that I think about it, I've never been out to that stadium. I don't think I've ever been out to that stadium. It's a nice so, stadium. yeah, I need, yeah, I need to go. Clearly, <laughs>
0: yeah, nice place to watch a game, and it's got yeah. a very high-powered lineup uh, to start this year. So looking at some scores here Wednesday night as we're recording, Norfolk defeated Scranton Wilkes-Barre 5-3. The good news, Kyle Stowers back in the lineup tonight with a 1-3 performance after getting hit on the hand on opening day last week. He was pulled out of the lineup for a little while, but got back into action tonight, which does come on the back end of UCL Diaz getting hurt on Tuesday after a promising start with a hamstring injury. We don't know the full extent of that just yet. Hoping it's not a major setback, but also a little bit worried that it's, you know, a sign of his injury history, which has been a problem for him, repeating itself. Interesting thing here is that Taryn Vavra and Jamai Jones are both off to good starts. Vavra continued that with a three for four performance on Wednesday night, bring him up to a three twenty three average, and eight sixty six OPS over a very small sample size, mind you, but still promising. Demai Jones, meanwhile, went two for four in this game, now has an OPS of 1.169. He is batting 360. We saw Demai Jones hit, you know, hit the ball really well for a few months last year, then cool off and struggle in the major leagues. However, it's hard to not look at this, especially after a pretty promising spring and not feel... A little excited. So Bob, I'll start with you here on Jones. Um, how are you balancing tempering the expectations a little bit versus um feeling like he's to be in the majors now or are you not trying to balance that at all?
2: <laughs> well, I mean, who's blocking him? First of all, R- Rugnet O'Dor, Chris Owings. You know, why not just bring him up and let him see if he can imitate his hot start at the major league level? But I mean, it, he's the same guy he was last year, I think. I mean, he looked good in spring. He hit the ball hard. Um, he's off to a great start. He got off to a good start last year. So you want to see him sustain it. He's. We've talked about how he has the tools. It's more about, you know, is he able to put them together and have some sustained success? So give him a month or two or I don't know. It depends if, if Rube Netredor or Chris Owings can at least be passable. I, in an ideal world, I'd give him a month or two to see if he can sustain the success that he's showing. But when he does come up, I would slide Terram Vavra. He's been – Vavra's been playing center field most nights, I feel like, and uh, looks okay out there. But the versatility is cool, but I'd rather see Vavra get some everyday at-bats at second base, get used to that position once Jones inevitably does get called up at some point, and uh, see, go from there. Maybe Vavra can work his way up as well at some point in the summer. But it's always good to get off to a good start. R- ask Ryland Bannon about that last year so.
0: So, Ben, I mean, I'm sure you saw Jones a little bit at the majors last year. We know that he was having struggles really just laying off too many pitches that were in the strike zone. That, that was a major problem for him. Um, but what would you want to see from him out of A before you gave him an extended shot in the majors again?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think he's got the hit tools. He's got a nice power-speed combo. Uh, I'd like to see him uh start hitting righties a little better he's he's pretty good against lefties but you know it, i think in general he's he's a solid hitter i think the honestly the big weakness for jones is his fielding he's not an especially great second baseman I mean, you know he's passable but i don't know i think that more than anything is what's going to probably block him a little bit is just he's not a very good fielder uh, so, you know, and I know that's been a thing. I remember all last year, you know, he was, you know, crushing in triple A and people were saying, why isn't he coming up? Why isn't he coming up? And the Orioles were constantly saying, well, he's, you know, working on being better at second base. So, you know, that maybe that'll be the same problem this year. But like you said, uh, you know, who's blocking him, you know, Rugneto door, is a guy who given a full season could maybe hit 30 home, 25, 30 home runs, but also bat like 200, you know, he, he's not, he's a good fielder though. So, you know, he's not like the future, obviously he's just kind of a warm body. So I think, yeah, if you see some good plate discipline from Jones uh, in the minors and, you know, I'm sure the Orioles would prefer to see a, a, an improved glove, I don't see any reason not to bring them up. I think this, honestly, I think this is the year where the Orioles start bringing up some of those prospects and saying, okay, let's see what you got. Because we're, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, two to three years away, uh, or hopefully less, um, from being a competitive team. So, you know, as we get some of those top prospects up. So now is the time to start getting the Jemai Joneses of the world, the Taryn Vavers of the world, Throw, putting them in the majors and saying, let's see what you got. And again, similar to what they're doing in the bullpen, throw everything to the wall and see what sticks. I think this is the year to do that. So I'd, I'd like to see that. But yeah, I think just seeing some some better plate discipline, better fielding from Jones. Uh, if If that starts to happen, I could easily see him coming up. We'll go now into
0: our final segment of the episode, and it's a resumption of something we started last year, which is, Taking a moment to highlight a prospect outside of Baltimore sports and life's top 30, which Bob, Nick, and I put together, um, actually our top 50. But what we do is we usually will let the players in the 31 through 50 segment or section on the list, since this is uh, you know a long season, we want to make sure we try to highlight players. Anyone below that 30 tier, we uh, want to take a minute to recognize for something they've done recently, whether it's been a good week. Uh, good individual performance in a game or maybe something we just saw that we liked even if it was not the best night. Bob to get us started has actually picked two players this week. And I want to start with him because it's also a chance to talk about the delmarva Soarbirds we have not really discussed tonight and we're off to a pretty decent start.
2: Yeah I mean I thought we'd spice it up this year maybe we can pick a, a batter and a pitcher each that's it's asking a lot, but we've got it in us. And yeah, Delmarva is an interesting uh, team this year just because they're filled with those international guys, which Orioles fans have no idea about until the last couple of years. They're finally reaching full season ball. And we're seeing that even though one of the guys I picked is the guy who's repeating Delmarva from last year, Daryl Hernais, who, you know, last year he had a 691 OPS, batted 277, but super young for the level. So you know, we thought he would get that bump up to a high Aberdeen, and he didn't. He got sent back down to DeMarva. Apparently he was not happy about it, and he's proving why. I mean, he's he's doing what he should do and say, here's why I should be up in Aberdeen. He's now batting four twenty nine on the season with OPS over a 1,000. Hit his first-term run tonight, also has a double. Hasn't walked yet, but it's only been 21 at-bats. Only struck out three times, so that's good as well. And for my pitcher, I'm going for a guy who finally got to see for the first time on video uh, Moises Chasse came in relief really for a rehabbing Denny Reyes and went four innings of shutout baseball, only gave him one hit and two walks, struck out seven. I was able to see the first two innings of his outing tonight um, before I hopped on this podcast, and I was getting the feels that I got when I watched Gene Pinto in Marvel last year, so you know, I want to see him a few more times to really lock that in. But we know how we feel about Gene Pinto on this podcast, and Moisés Chasse could be another one in uh, in that realm.
0: Chase is a guy that has been shouted out by Kobe Perez, among others, on our show. So good to see him delivering a little bit. I'm going to transition to a pitcher that Bob, Nick, and I are all high on. And Bob, yes, I will meet your talents to pick two players for the segment, uh, and I'll get to the batter in a moment. But I'm going to go as a guy that we've been pretty high on all offseason who had a nice outing in relief on Sunday, and that was Noah DeNoyer. Ended up picking up the win against Jersey Shore. Three innings of relief, two runs, one earned with eight strikeouts. Undrafted free agent who has flashed some promise, looked pretty good last year. And we've picked up as a guy who could break out a little bit this year because he does have good stuff had excellent strikeout numbers last year between Delmarva and Aberdeen, spending the bulk of that at Aberdeen while spending time in the rotation and the bullpen. Even if he goes in sort of a piggybacking role this year, I think you'll see a continuation of the good strikeout numbers. And if the walks are able to come down a little bit as we get into the year and he's able to get them below last year's numbers, I think we'll see him rise up through the system. And the other guy I'm going to pick is an outfielder on Delmarva who's off to a good start. And that's Isaac Bellamy, who ended up on Wednesday night against Lindsberg going one for four. He's hitting .375 with an OPS of 1.069 so far, a home run. This is an international signee who's 20 years old, was actually a holdover from the tail end of the Dan Duquette era. Somebody we were interested to see as part of a talented crop of international prospects. At Delmarva, and he looks like he's going to be one of those players who brings some thump to the lineup, switch hitter in the outfield, 6'2", 220 right now. So pretty big player, but hitting the ball so far, off to a good start, and I think worth keeping an eye on as we get through the first few weeks of the season.
2: Great pick, Zach. I yeah, especially loved Denoyer's line. What did he go? Three innings, struck out eight batters, but walked four. His curveball was was just on fire that night. I think all of his strikeouts were on the curveball, but he also throws in the mid nineties. So definitely intriguing performance by intriguing arm.
0: Then any players you want to shout out here?
1: Yeah. So um, if we're talking like deep prospects, um, someone that is interesting to me is Robert Neustrom. Uh I feel like he's kind of on the deeper end of Orioles prospects. Uh, I think he's clearly a pretty good hitter, uh, you know, fielding. I think he's solid, uh, you know, but we'll see what happens. The thing, the problem is, you know, the Orioles have a lot of outfielders already. So, you know, we'll, we'll see, uh, if he gets much of a chance, but you know, has had double digit walk rates, which I like in, in AAA, uh, last year. 11.3% walk rate in AAA. Love to see that 24.5% strikeout rate, which isn't terrible. 232 average wasn't great. I'd love to see him bring that up. But, you know, he's got raw skills that are really interesting to me. Um, And then I I kind of, you know, I'm interested in Ofelki Peralta as well. Another guy where it's, you know, raw stuff is really interesting. He's got a really good plus curveball. Uh, you know, I'd like to see what he can do with, uh, some of his other off-speed breaking stuff. Um, but you know, he's been in the organization. He's been in baseball for a long time. If I remember right. Yeah. He's been in the organization since 2014. That's yeah. I don't know if he has a future as a starter or a bullpen arm, but you know, I would be, I am very interested in see, to see how he would translate to the majors. Maybe he ends up being kind of part of that throw everything in the bullpen and see what happens. You know, he's got good stuff. Maybe he ends up being a useful bullpen arm. I don't know, but, you know, might as well give him a try for sure, especially since, you know, he's been (laughs) in the organization for uh, eight years now. So, yeah, those are two kind of deeper prospects that I think are very interesting.
2: Yeah, Peralta's survived you know, two regimes, so clearly there's something they see there. And uh, Neustrom actually robbed a home run tonight, and when he hits Very them out, cool. they are crushed, and they look beautiful.
0: Yeah, Neustrom hit a double at Norfolk last week, a walk-off that I think, if not in Harbor Park in April, is probably out. Uh, but Tidesator's got to deal with that damp air and the deeper dimensions of Harbor Park early on this year. So Ben, we've really appreciated having you on tonight. Tell our listeners where yeah. they can find your work and what you've got uh, coming up here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, a lot of my work is over at pitcher list.com. Um, every week I do a column that I've been doing for about four years now, where I take a look at the hitters. You should be starting and avoiding for the upcoming week. Just kind of looking at uh, pitching matchups for the upcoming week or hitters who, you know, hit hitters who are really good against lefties and they've, they're they facing four lefties this week or something like that, just kind of for mixing and matching some of your um, middle-of-the-road guys. I, I always say, always start your studs. But for some of your middle-of-the-road guys who are filling out your roster, this might be a good week to pick up on, you know, uh, get a head start on a hot streak. So I do that every week. And then I also do, uh, you know, some deeper research pieces periodically as, uh, as I can figure. I did one... Uh, came out on opening day actually on uh, why everybody's getting hit by pitches all of a sudden uh, hit by pitch trends are way up. Everyone's getting hit at, uh, you know, all time highs. And so I did a dive into why is that happening? Um, and then also look for some Orioles stuff at Baltimore sports and life uh, I don't have anything in the pipe right now, just because it's early in the season. I, I mean, I, based on how much I've been talking about Felix Bautista, it wouldn't shock me if I end up doing a Felix Bautista piece. Uh, so, you know, we'll see. But yeah, keep an eye out there, and then I'm on Twitter at Ben Palmer if you want to look at my Orioles tweets or other awful tweets. <laughs>
0: You can check out Ben's work as well as the work of our colleagues over at baltimoresportsandlife.com dot com, where you'll not only find Orioles coverage but Ravens college sports covers and more. Be sure to hop on the message board there and join the discussion with readers of the site as well as contributors. You can also follow us on Twitter at BSL on the Verge for nightly updates of the Orioles minor leagues. Uh, we've been sticking with our formula on there of video content as well as lines around the farm system from both hitters and pitchers are interesting. We'll have lots of new content coming up there as well as on the podcast where Bob Nick and I will be back at our normal time and night next Monday. So be sure to check in for that. And thank you for tuning in uh, live or listening to download as we did our later show this week uh, with the Orioles opening their regular season on Monday so for Ben Palmer, Bob Phelan, and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Sweden. you've been listening to on The Verge. Introducing Carvana Value Tracker, where you can track your car's value over time and learn what's driving it. It might make you excited. Whoa, didn't know my car was valued this
1: high. It might make you nervous. Uh-oh, market's flooded. My car's value just dipped 2.3%. It might make you optimistic. Our low mileage is paying off. Our value's up. And it might make you realistic. Mm, car prices haven't gone up in a couple weeks. Maybe it's time to sell. But it will definitely make you an expert on your car's value. Carvana Value Tracker. Visit
0: Carvana.com to start tracking your car's value today.
2: Without the ones like you, who work
0: tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies.